babe, you can't post that. Okay, but so that was a really nice way of being mean to yourself. But on Instagram, I was like, yeah, with a cute dress. Oh, you 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 call me out on this all the time. I like to stick my head under the covers when something feels too hard. Literally. That's what bothers me about him a lot. Okay. All right. Which well, sounds like having your cake and eating it too. It sounds know. like that. But... This is the A team that I'm like honored to work with. It's. I mean, I'm honored to that you guys invited me to be a part of this. Oh, of course. Um. Yeah, okay. So, so you're triggered. I'm triggered. I'm really triggered right now. I'm Why? Well, and something I've learned about triggers is they're actually a really good thing, and I, did, I didn't know that until recently. Um, I'm triggered because, I don't know if you know this about me, I used to be a TV host. Yeah. I've told you a million times. Yeah. You did know that about yeah, me. Yeah, I did. But no, probably nobody else did. Um, and I really, really miss that. And I feel like I'm at a point in my life right now where I've actually really kind of gone a long way away from my authentic, you know, my true authentic self. And I didn't mean to stop being a TV host. I, I There's a story behind it, but, um, but if I'm really, really honest, I really miss it a lot. And so being on this set is both exciting for me and also really triggering because it's reminding me that this is something I really want to be doing that I'm, I'm not honoring. Good. Right I think you should be doing it. So triggers are a good thing. They point out, you know, where you, where you want to go in your life. Yeah. And I think you want to be on a set. I want to be on a set. And I'm on a set right now. So this and is you're really on a exciting. set. And we have a lot to talk about. Um, I feel like our friendship is very special because we're both we're both always working on ourselves. And we always call each other when we're having like a hard time. And yes. the other person always knows what to say. And earlier when I was on the phone with you, I love when you're like, but why do we talk to ourselves like this? Oof. Oof. And you you point it out all the time, and I almost don't want to admit it, but it's true. It's like it's almost like we're incentivized to constantly be insecure at all times about every single thing. And yep. maybe it's an L.A. thing. I don't think so. I think this city definitely amplifies it. Really amplifies it. Um, okay, do you want to try something? Because I've always I've always said to Nicole, and we talk about this a lot. You know, why aren't we our own best friends? I think that we should always aim to speak to ourselves the way that you speak to me or I speak to you. What if I gave you a compliment right now? And I just accepted it? Or you could just accept it. Or let's be super vulnerable here, if you're up for it. Okay, I'm, I'll try I with want you. you to vocalize what your internal monologue says when I give you a compliment. Okay. I've never done this before, but I'm glad you brought it up. Okay. Go, go ahead. Nicole, I think your height is beautiful. I think my in my head I'm thinking... That's so nice that you think that, but I do wish I was taller and I will continue wearing heels wherever I go. And that's that's sweet, but you also probably see me in heels all the time. So you don't even know my real height, so I'm just gonna keep it. <laughs> I mean, so it's just like. Okay, but so that was a really nice way of being mean to yourself, right? I know, and and I don't I don't notice it. And I didn't notice it until you pointed it out like a nice way of being mean to yourself. I didn't even think of that. Right, right. 
So, I mean, I do that every time you give me a compliment. And I know you think I'm insane because you tell me that. But every time you give me a, con a compliment, not only do I start being mean to myself, on a subconscious level, I literally do not believe a word you're saying. I know. And that's like, I okay, can I give you a compliment and you do yep, that? Yep, yep. Oh, God, I'm scared. But, but it's yeah. like, no, it's like I, I'm saying stuff that I know. You know that's my insecurity. I know yep. yours as your friend. Yep. I have a lot. <laughs> okay. Yep, okay. Okay. For me to say, Georgia, you look very young. Wow. I mean, okay, first of all, thank you. Okay, here's my initial internal monologue. I go, wow, that's really nice that she thinks that. And then I start going, but hang on a second. I don't know, is my Botox wearing off right now? Do I have wrinkles? Is my face dropping? Maybe I don't look that young. Maybe maybe it's just a nice, maybe she's just being nice and that's not true. That's what my internal monologue does. And then I start thinking about all the things I need to change about myself rather than thinking, wow, she really thinks that? Maybe that is true. Maybe I do look young because it's an insecurity and we all have insecurities. But Damn. imagine if I didn't think that. Imagine if when you said that to me, I was like, wow, that's really sweet that she thinks that. She's right. I look amazing. I know. And why is it not okay for you to think that? <sighs> or like, why isn't that your initial reaction? I think, uh, well, first of all, as we know, your subconscious is formed between the ages of zero and five. So there's things in my childhood that happened to me as happens to all of us. We all have traumas. Even if we have the most wonderful parents, we experience trauma. It's just the way it is. Um, there's blocks from my childhood that I haven't worked on yet that continue to pop up through my insecurities. Were you aware of beauty at that young of an age? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, 100%. Under five? Yeah, yeah. I can remember instances that are absolutely like burned into my brain like a cattle brand of um, situations where people have either knowingly or unknowingly picked on me, even as a little child. And actually, I've been doing a lot of inner child work lately. Um, and something that happened to me the other day that was pretty profound, I had a bit of a breakthrough. I, I do a lot of my... Um, I do this practice called to be magnetic. I've told you about it before. If you guys haven't checked it out, check it out. Uh, Lacey Phillips is amazing and it's probably the most breakthroughs I've ever had is doing this work. Um, and so I was doing uh, their practice the other day, which is sort of a type of hypnotherapy. As I was walking, to my, walking my dog, I was listening to A Deep Imagining um, and I saw myself as a four-year-old. And I saw this little girl and then all of a sudden these insults that I received as a child popped up except I was saying them to four-year-old me and I just burst into tears. And I think something that I'm going to try to do moving forward um, is every time I go to beat myself up internally, that internal monologue comes out, I'm going to imagine that I'm saying it to four-year-old me. Yeah, and that'll stop you from doing it. Well, I don't know whether it's going to stop me, but I mean, could it'll you say that to... No, but it'll it'll at least make you hesitate. And that's that's something I love about like inner child work and things that we're now being incentivized to uh, to learn about. Because I talk about this on this podcast a lot, but a lot of a lot of the things that we're learning on the internet right now that we're sort of finding because we need to heal in those places. Or we're having problems. And you and I do that a lot. We yeah, <laughs> but like, but yeah. but 
but why weren't we taught these things in school? Because imagine if we were. But there was one thing that you sent me a while ago that I screenshotted, but I feel like you can prop you can probably muster it up again. Um, it was something about like what you would say to your younger self if you could. And you know, we talk about affirmations a lot and we know that you know a lot of successful people have like written things down that have helped them or or you know there's a lot of books about mindset and habits and things like that but if you could go back and reprogram the way you were thinking at a very young age what would you tell yourself and why did you come up with this um this you know affirmation or thought process now like as a result of what challenge i can't remember specifically what i said to you so if you happen to have it handy in the front of your mind please remind me <laughs> but i mean that's a lot of things I, yeah. I would say to my younger self um number one you are worthy i mean we seem to have this I, I mean, me personally, I fight with this every day. There isn't a day where I wake up and I don't feel inherently unworthy of one thing or another. And who decides that? That's what I want to know. I mean, who decides that you're unworthy? Is it somebody else? Maybe. Is it you? Most likely. Um, you know, does God come along and put an unworthy stamp on your head before you enter the world? I don't think so. No. I don't think that's what happens. So where is it along the line that you become unworthy? The answer to that is that you don't. You, you are always worthy and yet we feel unworthy in one or more areas of our life and it's just crazy. So I think I would tell my younger self, first and foremost, you are worthy. You are worthy of being here. You are special. You are important. You are worthy of love. You are worthy of happiness. You are worthy of everything you desire. So let's just get that one out of the way. Um, what else would I tell my inner child? Just everything that goes on inside your mind is a soap opera. None of it's real. So, you know, you get to decide what the plot of that soap opera is. Is it going to be a negative soap opera that's going to put blocks in your way or is it going to be a positive soap opera? Because it's all made up, so you get to decide. Yeah, Which one are you going to choose? It reminds me of this quote that's something like, the story of your life is yours. Don't let anybody else hold the pen. Right. And why we let so many people hold the pen, starting with our parents. Right. I don't know. Right. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know why either, but also why do we write bad stories? I don't know. And, and I think this whole movement on manifesting is really about that, is that we've, yeah. we've written bad stories or somebody's written bad stories for us and we're just playing it out. Also, if you don't believe in the power of manifestation, um, something that I've learned about manifestation is it's, you know, vision boards are great and that kind of thing. But, but that's not really what manifestation is. What manifestation is, it? is clearing the blocks that we put in our own way and taking aligned action to reach our goals. That's what manifestation is. You know what? That actually sounds so much more relatable. And I think, I think a lot of times people hear the word manifestation and they're like, oh, this is just some bullshit right. that, that they think spiritual bypass, right? They're yeah, like, yeah. oh, it's or, like fairy dust and whatever. Yeah. That's not it. And like some psychic you know, told you that you can make this happen and now you're just 
imagining it and a lot of people think it's harmful yeah that's that's the crazy part that right. I've, you know as i like browse through the internet i've discovered this side that's like yo this is really harmful teaching young people that they can just manifest stuff. what do they like, call it now toxic positivity I, maybe but but the way that you just said it right now that definition that you gave actually makes it a realistic thing yeah aligned action habits things like that that you can actually do to make the things you want come true, right. which I love. But in order to take that aligned action, you need to inherently believe that it's possible for you. You have to be, as well, Lacey Phillips puts it, you have to be expanded enough. And now how do we get expanded? Well, you become expanded through seeing other people that are just like you achieving those goals, having those things you want. So what in your life how do you know what you want? Well, first of all, look at your triggers. Like when I sat down in this beautiful studio, I was like, oh, I'm really <laughs> triggered by this because here's this wonderful thing that Nicole's created that I really secretly want for myself. Well, not so secretly. I've gone and told everybody. But, <laughs> but um, you look at your triggers and that's going to tell you exactly what you want. Now, as we're talking through it, I'm realizing you're actually expanding me right now as we're talking because, you know, you've gone from – where we were at when I met you was um, you were killing it on Clubhouse, but we were all locked inside thanks to the pandemic. So you were doing exactly what you're doing now, but on a social audio app yeah. to right here in this beautiful studio that you've created for yourself. So you're expanding me right now as we're speaking. I'm sitting here going, okay, so if Nicole can do this, cool, maybe I can too. Not maybe, I definitely can. You definitely can. can. I definitely can. So what's in my way? Well, something that I've identified about myself recently is that I like to hide. I like to stick my head under the covers when something feels too hard. Literally, like I will stay in bed and stick my head under the covers. Um, why am I hiding? Because I have programming from when I was a child and right through adolescence that taught me that, no, you're not good enough. That's, that's not possible for you. There's so many other people out there that have so much talent and are prettier than you and are smarter than you and more eloquent than you and don't have a weird accent. Those are the people that deserve a job like that, not you, you know? So, um, but again, circling back to that soap opera that we tell ourselves, that's the soap opera I've created in my mind. So what if I changed that? What if I wrote a totally different story? Well, the end result will inevitably be inevitably be I will be sitting in a studio like this inevitably there what you just said reminded me of something that I read on the internet all I do is like curate words in my head I know you're the best at it thank you so someone wrote something like people with less skill and talent than you are more successful simply because they believe they can do it yes and that that belief carries them Absolutely. But it can't be like a surface level belief. You really oh, have no, to they, believe on a subconscious they really, level. They really believe that they deserve the interview, you know, a certain amount of listeners, that they're super interesting and they carry that energy. And because they believe in them, other people believe in them. Yep. And so that was something that I think helped me. You know who I think is the most powerful manifester in the world? Who? Donald Trump. Interesting. T tell me about that. Okay. So Donald Trump... I think is the best manifester in the world. And I bet you he probably thinks manifesting as a concept is a joke. 
right? But he's such a narcissist that he absolutely believes without a shadow of a doubt he can be whomever he wants, achieve whomever he wants. He doesn't listen to the noise. He only focuses on his own soap opera in his head that he's created, which is that he can have whatever Whatever he he wants. And that's how he went from being Donald Trump to Donald Trump the billionaire to Donald Trump the celebrity apprentice to Donald Trump the president of the United States. And you know what? The guy probably thinks he can do it again. And guess what? He might because of it. Yeah, it's funny. As you're you're speaking and I'm imagining this episode rolling out, um, I can already see how people would get so offended by what you're saying. Right. Just because they don't like him. But I think there's a power in putting away every react, every visceral reaction that you have to everything that you see on the internet. Right. And saying, what can I learn from this? By the way, I, I'm not a fan of Donald Trump personally myself. Same. But I, I can acknowledge his brilliance in some ways. I mean, the guy just... He he never stands in his own way. And that's why he is who he is and he's at where he's at. I think, and, you know, I brought Andrew Tate up in um, my podcast episode. Don't like him either. Uh, I don't like him either (laughs) with my episode on Tom Bilyeu. But if you take a step back and take a macro look at what he's done, you can actually learn a lot about content creation and what really gets people moving. Right. You know, what is it that they want to hear about? What subjects are they bored of hearing about? Right. What talking points do they no longer agree with? You know what I mean? What what talking points do they like hearing about? Masculinity was a big topic. It's a, a, a really big topic right now. Right. And if you can talk about that and you can talk about relationships in a certain way and, and what will get you ahead and right. things like that in, in a way that's very engaging, the way that he does it, then you can come out a winner too. But... It's the same thing. I think that guy's a powerful manifester and Oh yeah. And I'm again, I'm sure many people would be offended by that, but that doesn't mean he's right. It just means right. There's something you can learn from this guy. Andrew Tate, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of similarities between Trump and Andrew Tate like that. He I, Andrew Tate to me and I'm not I'm not an expert, not a psychiatrist, but to me there seems to be a quite a bit of narcissism there. Just from an outsider's perspective who doesn't know him. Um, But the other thing Andrew Tate is brilliant at is identifying people's triggers and leaning in on them. So why are we triggered by Andrew Tate? Well, me personally, I'm triggered by Andrew Tate because I have, as all women have, um, you know, I don't want to use the word victim, but I can't think of a better word, word right now, so I will. I have been a victim of chauvinism being taught that I'm less deserving and less of a person because I'm a woman. And Andrew Tate leans in on that. So every time I hear him speak, every time I see a video that he's posted where he's being disrespectful towards women, I feel really triggered by that because at certain points in my life, I've experienced similar treatment. And he knows that. And that's what makes him able to produce polarizing content. Today's episode of Beyond is brought to you by MoonPay. MoonPay is your portal to Web3 where you can transact with peers globally and own your digital identity. MoonPay makes it fast and simple to jumpstart your Web3 journey. Quickly use your debit or credit card to buy and sell crypto and purchase digital collectibles, 
visit moonpay.com to get started. That's what bothers me about him a lot because, you know, there are some things that he says that when I really listen, I'm like, okay, I agree with that. Like, I think men should protect and provide, you know? Yeah. Then when he gets into the other harmful stuff, like, oh, you don't want to be with a girl who's 27. First of all, 27 is still extremely young. 27, that's a baby in my head. Because I'm in my 30s. So, so, yeah, same. And and he's like... He's like, yeah, a 22-year-old is much better. She hasn't been influenced by the world and hurt, so you won't have to deal with shit. A 22-year-old is practically a child. (laughs) I didn't even know who I was at that age. No. If I would have ended up with the guy I was dating at 22, for sure I would have been divorced. I I did not know who I was. It was just, it would have been the worst thing I could have done. I mean, I just, I think about the person I was at 22 Versus the person I am now, and I literally do not recognize. Yeah, the and the values that you have change over time. You realize what you agree with and don't agree with. You develop like a roadmap, a trajectory that you want to follow. Right. And so, to me, it's like, why are you creating a reality for men where they chase after women who are innocent, don't know who they are, you know, have not fully developed opinions or values? And you're like, oh, I'm going to go mold that girl. Because that's the advice that he's giving to men. And they're just like, yeah, this is way better than what we're being taught. Like, it's crazy the way that he actually influences people. And it makes me wonder, what, who are the other role models that could be better for society that for whatever reason are not going viral? Is it that he's controversial? Is it that, like, what is it? Well, I think, uh, I think Andrew Tate appeals to um, men who feel a need for control. And there's a lot of men out there that feel a need for control, especially the more powerful and independent that women become. That triggers these men who feel the need for control, um, you know, to not know what to do with that. And I think... Andrew Tate gives those men a voice. And it's not to say that there's not lots of women out there who feel a need for control. I will stick my hand up and say that's something that I struggle with. Um, You know, if you dare to come over to my house and unpack the dishwasher or or pack the dishwasher the way I don't like, I've, thank God, learnt to um, control that impulse, but I will definitely want to go and restack it. <laughs> no, I get it. <laughs> so so I'm not criticizing people who have uh, controlling tendencies. I'm definitely one of them. But um, I do think that, you know, we all pick up, pick up on the programming from our parents. And, you know, we were most likely raised by baby boomers. And back then, you know, the women stayed home. They raised the babies. They cleaned the house, that kind of thing. So that's, that's the programming of a lot of men in society and then you know through feminism and um and equality now women are are having the same kind of careers that men have and I think that's really triggering for a lot of people and Andrew Tate you know he's yeah he wants it to go yeah he wants it to go back to the way it was yeah um the reality is that's not gonna happen no that's no. not going to happen. So we need to find a happy medium. We do need to find a happy medium. And it's funny because I feel like a lot of men say, well, you know, you guys, you guys want equal rights, but, uh, but, you know, do, but then you want us to pay the dinner bill. And I was like, I've, I really feel like equality is a really confusing concept 
because I don't think that equality necessarily means men and women go out and make the same same amount of money and come home and they split the bills 50-50. I think equality is about sharing the load, regardless of which roles two people assume in a relationship. Let's just say you're a high-powered lawyer and your husband is a kindergarten teacher and you have children and it makes more sense for you to go back to work and be the breadwinner and it makes more sense for him to stay home and do the child rearing, I think that's absolutely fine if that's what works for you. But what I don't think is fine is um, the expectation to for women to have the children and then also go back to work, work a full day and then come home and do all the cleaning and the cooking and the child rearing. Dad just gets to come home and kick his feet up um, and watch TV because, you know, now now women can work. Now women can, can earn an income. So therefore, everything has to be 50-50 financially. That's not 50-50 in a relationship. That's not equality. Equality is sharing the load. I love the way that you just put that. Um, I think... One of the things that really bothers me is this concept of women being empowered. And you hear this message all the time about women can do it all. And nobody tells men that. Nobody tells men, you know, go become the CEO of a company and make all this money and then come home and raise your child. And, you know, women think they're being empowered, but really they're being tremendously pressured to take on as you just said, a Absolutely. load that I'm sorry, but if any if any human being took on the kinds of loads that women are being pressured to take on from a career standpoint and a child rearing standpoint, they would break down, get depressed, get anxiety, burnout. Yep. It's over. Yep. And so But women do it all the and, time. And 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 the important point here is that this is not empowering. No. At all. No, it's not and fair, it's not sharing the load, it's not equal, and it's not empowering. Exactly. And that's why I'm sure you've seen it all the time on podcasts. A lot of men talk about how, like, modern feminism has been ruining women, and then they want to push them back towards being a traditional wife and being a nurturer and a mother and all that, which I understand, but again, times are different. So. Right. It is about sharing the load. Well, a lot of women don't want that. A lot of women like you and I actually really enjoy having a career. I really love working. I love being challenged. I love having my own thing going on. I love having my own interests. But, you know, when I find a partner and have a family, which I aspire to do, and I know you do too, I really hope that person, in fact, no, scratch that. I'm not going to hope that person. I wouldn't be with someone who didn't get this. Just let's put that out there. Yeah. I really, uh, I'm going to make sure that person understands um, what what that involves, how difficult it is, and I want to make sure that person really gets that things have to be equal. And I don't mind who does what, we can figure that out, but things have to be equal. They have to understand how much pressure is involved in being a mother, how much pressure is involved in having a career, and we have to work together to make sure that the load is shared. I love it. Um, not to take it back to Donald Trump, but this conversation but is... But let's do that. Let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Um, this conversation is reminding me of an article that I read a long time ago when Donald Trump was preg- president. 
when Donald Trump was pregnant. President. <laughs> was that what I said? <laughs> you almost did. <laughs> oh, my God. When Donald Trump was president. Yep. And um, it was talking about how men who are Republican tend to want wives like Melania, but daughters like Ivanka, meaning they understood that for them it would be more beneficial and they would feel safer having a wife who is a little bit less career and more nurturing, quiet, whatever those qualities were right. that she had. But then they wanted their daughter to be beasts like Ivanka. Okay. All right. Well, Which that sounds like having your cake and eating it too. It sounds <laughs> like that. But but it's but it was so interesting to me because it was like, wow, you're so insecure that you need your wife to not be like a high powered CEO and you need her to to you need to be the one that's in control. But when it comes to your daughter, you're fully aware of how much she would benefit off being able to be independent on her own and having that kind of fulfillment. Right. So for yourself, wow. For yourself, you want that kind of wife, but for your daughter, you want a different life entirely. So that really opened my eyes to a lot of this because a lot of it is, I think about how we're governed by politics. And I feel like I've had this conversation with you and you look at um, a lot of the women in the liberal arena, mm -hmm. which by the way, I don't, I, I don't fall on either side of the spectrum. Both of us are more yep. in the middle. Yep. So this is not an insult to either side. But I think when, when I think about the way that politics affects women, uh, the women on the liberal side of things, they're always trying to empower women and break the glass ceiling and, you know, do this and be this way. They're, they're, they're encouraging women to be doers. Right. And then on the other end, they're just they're encouraging women to be like, you know, stay-at-home moms and take care of the kids and whatever. But when I look at the anger that's that's uh, that arises from, you know, the messages that these liberal women have or women on the Democratic side, however you want to refer to them, it's like Hillary Clinton and Kamala Harris and all of them are like, break the glass ceiling. And you look at... What if you don't want to? What if, what your if you don't want to? Yeah. What if you don't? Mom. Yeah, and that's okay too. Or, or that you can have a bit of a balance, but you don't want to break the glass ceiling. And here's right. the other thing um, that we don't talk about enough is that do Bill and Hillary really have the kind of relationship that the rest of us want to have? I mean, we're not in it, so we will never truly know. But it doesn't look like it. But from that, the but that's what I'm saying is that we were fully aware of what was happening with Bill Clinton in the office, yes, and we can see at least peripherally what their relationship looks like now. Right. So, you know, the so the messages that women are getting are very mixed, and I don't think they're helpful. No. So to rely on feminism or to rely on even the mindset that uh, people in the conservative movement have towards women, both of those are outdated, and there needs to be you know, a new set of messaging. And just for women to know that to be on either end is fine. If you want to be like a career woman who doesn't have a child, right? that's fine. But just know that that's really what you want. Right. And go after it. Right. And so... And so, if you want both, that's also fine. I mean, you want both. I want both. That's absolutely fine. And we're fully aware yes. that 
when we have a child, that's going to be a sacrifice of our work. Absolutely. Because I'm not going to be an absent parent no. with a nanny. Just, I'm not doing it. No. But the other problem is people see women who look very career-oriented and assume that they wouldn't make that sacrifice. Right. Which is completely untrue. Right. And so... A lot I, of a lot of men have said that to me, actually. Right? And, yeah. and you know, one yeah. of my insecurities was, like, I didn't want, at least on Instagram, which was, like, my landing page for right. dating. Those, that's where, you know, you get the fire signs. And greatest people are res- dating app. Greatest yep. dating app. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to advertise that I'm smart on oh, Instagram. Yeah. So I was, like, you know, putting out tweets on Twitter and uh, on Clubhouse, doing all these rooms with authors. But on Instagram, I was like... Yeah. With a cute dress. Oh, you, you, you call me out on this all the time about my Instagram. <laughs> well, Which, I also don't way. think, look, I also, in, in noticing that about myself, I don't think your Instagram is reflective of who you are and how smart you are. And look, everything that you, that you believe and can share with the world, I see photos of you and obviously... The first thing is that you're striking, strikingly beautiful. Oh God! But how much the, more? He's the inner monologue again. <laughs> but but how? But yeah. how? But how crazy is it? Is that we feel like that's the thing that we need to be before everything. We need to be beautiful to get the attention. Right. That's what. That's what gets the likes. Oh God. That's what gets the. That's what gets the attention. I mean, God help us if uh, if anyone dares to post an unedited photo. Oh my God. <laughs> ridiculous though you know what though I, I i do have to say and i hope i'm right about this i don't think that we edit to a level where we look unrecognizable i don't think so either but then again we never see ourselves through the lens of other people however <laughs> we do send photos to each other True. to make sure there's slight adjustments and not like babe True. that is not your face true true yeah, I know. It's always scary when you click on somebody's profile and you're like, what? <laughs> like, are you a cartoon character? Yeah. What's happening? Yeah. And, and yeah. what's even more scary is that they don't recognize that. Clearly. It just makes me feel like they don't have real friends. Right. It makes me feel like they, they don't have real friends because if they did, their friend would honestly tell them, babe, you can't post that. Today's episode of Beyond is brought to you by MoonPay. MoonPay is your portal to Web3 where you can transact with peers globally and own your digital identity. MoonPay makes it fast and simple to jumpstart your Web3 journey. Quickly use your debit or credit card to buy and sell crypto and purchase digital collectibles. Visit MoonPay.com to get started. 